Ramadan Mubarak, and welcome to the Muslim Matters Podcast. Revisiting Women-Only Taraweeh by Ustada Um Sara. This article was written pre-COVID-19, but is especially relevant this Ramadan. I still remember the first time I heard of a women-only Taraweeh congregation. I was about 10 years old, and my father had told me that Maulana Sayyid Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi, a prominent Indian Hanafi scholar of the past century, had written a book about his mother, who was a hafidha who had memorized the Quran, and had mentioned that she would lead women in Taraweeh. Sheikh Nadwi had written, quote, What a beautiful era it was when they, his mother and aunts, would all recite one juz or chapter each in Taraweeh. They would follow the fatwa of some scholars and have their own congregation in which there would be a woman imam and women followers. Their Taraweeh congregation would go on from after Isha till almost Suhoor time. All of them would recite Quran very beautifully with impeccable pronunciation. If it's not disrespectful, I would say that they recited better and more accurately than many of today's scholars. Their heartfelt passion and natural melody would add even more beauty to this. I recall one time I stood for a long time watching my mother recite as she was leading Taraweeh. It felt as if rain was descending from the heavens. I have still not forgotten the beauty of that moment. End quote. I remember finding this fascinating. The idea of women, women of recent history, and for me as a Desi, Desi women, memorizing the Quran and leading each other in long prayers was something I had never heard of or even thought was a thing. This was before I had heard of the concept of girls memorizing the Quran, before sisters' qiyams gained relative popularity in American Muslim practice. The only thing I knew about women-led congregations then was that it was considered disliked, according to the Hanafis, but permissible, according to others. Years later, after I memorized the Quran and I was studying at Madrasa in Pakistan, I learned the concept of women-only taraweeh prayers was still alive and practiced. Many of the hafidahs there would also pray together in taraweeh in congregations of two or three. The position of our Hanafi madrasa regarding this was that it was permissible if it was done with the intention of reviewing the Quran. In the past years, there has been a rise in North America in the popularity of sisters taraweehs and qiyams. As mentioned, this is not something new in our tradition. It has been done throughout the centuries, and hadiths indicate it was done even in the time of the Prophet and the Sahaba. It is something encouraged in some schools of fiqh. However, since this is something that is against the classical Hanafi position, many people have questioned the validity or the advisability of such for Hanafis. As a woman who follows Hanafi fiqh, should I pray in a congregation of women? Is it okay for me to lead a congregation? What is the benefit of a sister's qiyam anyway? We'll explore these questions in this article. Hanafi Arguments Regarding Women-Only Congregations There are many narrations that mention some Sahabiyat, notably Aisha, Umm Salama, and Umm Waraqa, radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, led women in prayer, both obligatory prayers and voluntary prayers. Some of the narrations are below. Layla bint Malik and Abdurrahman bin Khalad al-Ansari narrate on the authority of Umm Waraqa that the Prophet ﷺ fought in the Battle of Badr. She said, I said, O Prophet of Allah, 
allow me to join you in battle so that I can nurse the sick, and perhaps Allah will grant me martyrdom. The Prophet ﷺ said, Remain at home, for Allah will grant you martyrdom. So she used to be called the martyr. She had recited the Qur'an, so she asked the Prophet if she could appoint a mu'adhin for her house. So he gave her permission. In another narration, it mentions, quote, The Prophet ﷺ commanded her to lead the members of her household in prayer. End quote. The sources for this and all of the following hadith that will be used in this article will be linked in the notes of this podcast. Ibrahim narrates on Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha that she used to lead women in prayer in the month of Ramadan and she used to stand in the middle of the row. Raita al-Hanafiya narrates that Aisha led them in prayer and stood in the middle of them in a fard prayer. Hujaira narrates that Umm Salama led them in Asr prayer and stood in the middle. Because of these and other similar narrations, the Shafis and Hanbalis consider it permissible for women to pray in congregation, even preferred when they are already gathered together or when done with the intention of education. The Malikis do not allow it at all. The Hanafi position on this is a little more nuanced. It is still considered valid, but disliked prohibitively, makruh tahrimi. I will use the term disliked for the rest of the article. Before we look at the Hanafi argument, it's important to keep in mind that while it is true that most classical Hanafi scholars were of the opinion that women-only congregations, apart from Salatul Janazah, which is permissible without dislike, were prohibitively disliked, it is also true that all Hanafi scholars were of the opinion that it is still valid. As Allama Kasani writes when discussing the conditions of being an imam, quote, and likewise, a woman also is fit for being an imam, such that if she were to lead a congregation of women only, it would be valid, except that it is disliked according to us and preferred according to the Shafi'i. End quote. Therefore, all Hanafi fiqh books also explain the method of how a women-only congregation will be carried out, namely, where the imam will stand. The classical Hanafi argument against women-only congregation is as follows. Acts of worship are ta'abudi, or based on ritual, not reason. And therefore, we stick to the manner it was done in the time of the Prophet ﷺ and the generation of the Sahaba. Although there are narrations that mention some Sahabiyat led women in prayer, this was the exception and not the norm. If women-only congregations were praiseworthy, there would be more recorded instances. Since this was not the regular practice of the Sahabiyat, it should be avoided. The Hanafi response to the narrations of the Sahabiyat leading prayer is that it is abrogated or that it was specific to the earlier days of Islam. There is also a technical argument given by the Hanafis. It is argued that a women-only congregation will always consist of one of two potentially disliked actions of prayer. In women-only congregations, the imam stands in the middle of the first row, not ahead, because this is how it is narrated that Aisha and Umm Salama stood when they led. Hanafis argue that in congregational prayers, it is sunnah for the imam to stand in front of the congregation. Standing in the same row as the followers is disliked. Having the imam stand in the middle prevents the prayer from being done in the ideal way. Therefore, it is disliked. However, if the imam stands ahead, this is also disliked, because in standing in front of everyone, there is more exposure, 
Whereas the Sunnah teachings regarding a woman's prayer is that it should be done in a way and a place that is as concealing as possible. Because of this, the Hanafis argue either way it is done, one of the two possible disliked actions will be carried out, and therefore the prayer itself is disliked. This position is present in most classical books of Hanafi fiqh and fatawa from the primers like Kanzul Daqaiq and Hidayah to the fatwa compilations like Radul Muhtar and Hindiya, and is usually considered sufficient for explaining the Hanafi view on this issue. But while this is the majority Hanafi position on this issue, there has been some discussion about issues with these arguments even among the classical Hanafi scholars. Alama ibn al-Hammam, the famous commentator of Hidayah, discusses this matter in his commentary, Fatul Qadr, where he quotes many hadiths which show that certain sahabiyat would lead the prayer. He then mentions that to say these hadiths are abrogated or restricted to the earlier days is difficult to establish because there is no proof for that. All of the hadiths about women leading prayer are from the later Madinan period. One narration, for instance, mentions that Aisha used to lead women in Ramadan. The Raweeh prayer in congregation was something the Sahaba established regularly only after the death of the Prophet If she used to lead the Raweeh after the death of the Prophet, it couldn't possibly have been abrogated. He then mentions some responses to this, but says it still doesn't establish that this has been abrogated. The only hadith that might indicate that this is abrogated, he says, is the hadith in Abu Dawood and similar hadiths stating that the prayer of a woman in the most concealed portion of her house is the best. But this hadith can only be used to establish that women-only congregations are no longer recommended mustahab, which is different from being deemed disliked prohibitively. Alama Abdul Hay Laknawi, a Hanafi researcher and scholar from the 1800s, in his detailed discussion on this issue, compiles many arguments for and against this topic. After arguing that there is no proof to establish these hadiths have been abrogated, he lists many reasons why the aforementioned technical arguments of the Hanafis against women congregations are not strong. For instance, he argues that saying it is disliked for an imam to stand in the middle of the row is not correct because Aisha would not have done so if it was disliked. It is possible that it is disliked for men, not women. But even for men, it is not disliked in some instances, like when a man is leading only one or two other men in prayer. Also, if it is disliked, then why have we made an exception for Salatul Janaza, the funeral prayer, and have said that it is not disliked there? So to say that it is disliked completely is inconsistent. He also argues that saying there is more exposure if a woman stands ahead of everyone else is not valid, either for many reasons. If a woman is standing ahead of everyone else, there are two possibilities. Either her satr for prayer, the portion of her body that is obligatory to cover, is covered or uncovered. If she is uncovered, then the salah itself is not valid. So it doesn't matter whether it was in congregation or not. And if it is covered... It does not affect the validity of Salah because there isn't anything disliked about praying fully covered in front of others. So the real reason why a woman stands in the middle is that Aisha did so, not necessarily because she must conceal herself to that level when praying. These are just some of the many arguments that he presents. After mentioning all of the arguments, he goes on to say, quote, The opinion that this is prohibitively disliked is not correct. Rather, 
following the truth wherever it is found is more correct, end quote. He says that since the hadiths indicate that it is permissible, and there is no clear proof that this has been abrogated, nor can we say that it was done only in the beginning of Islam, and the technical reasons behind the apparent prohibition mentioned here have their faults, the most we can say in this regard is that it is khilaful awla, not recommended, just slightly less than permissible. He concludes by saying, quote, What becomes obvious from this whole discussion is that saying it is disliked, especially saying that it is prohibitively disliked, is something the scholars derived based on their understanding and assumptions, not something that they learned from the imams. Or perhaps they had a reason for this opinion that we haven't been able to come across. Whatever we have come across, we have explained. End quote. In summary, although the classical dominant Hanafi opinion was that it was prohibitively disliked, there were some Hanafi scholars who believed otherwise and had strong arguments to establish this. To argue for the permissibility of women-only congregation is not something that was only done recently, nor is it something that is baseless. Of course, the arguments of one or two scholars don't automatically override all other fatwas, but at the very least, this indicates that there is room even in the Hanafi fiqh to allow for this and perhaps is something that should be reconsidered. Potential Benefits of Women Congregations what is the point of women-only congregations? What is the benefit, especially if it is something that many scholars of the past discouraged? Isn't it better to avoid what is doubtful? We must remember that in issues like this, where there is a valid difference of opinion, and where there are proofs that justify both sides of the argument, the question is not whether the issue at hand is correct or incorrect. Rather, the question is determining which practice is closer to the sunnah of the Prophet wasallam, which practice will have the most benefits. When jurists say something is preferred or disliked here, what they mean is that through their knowledge and understanding of the sources of Islamic law, they believe that this is the best application of the teachings of the Prophet and the best way to fulfill the various purposes of the sharia, not that practicing the other way is an act of misguidance or clear error. For this reason, we need to look at the potential benefits and the needs and context of people to better understand whether and when this practice should be encouraged or avoided. A few clarifications before we continue. In Hanafi fiqh, for obligatory prayers, it is better to have one large congregation than multiple small ones. To have a regular congregation outside of the masjid is discouraged. This is another reason why women-only congregations were not encouraged, because they are not meant for everyone. So it is important to keep in mind that if we are mentioning the benefits of obligatory prayers in women-only congregations, this is meant occasionally and in the context of when women are not regularly attending the masjid for the five daily prayers, as is arguably usually the case. It does not mean that the women who already regularly attend the congregation in the masjid should leave the congregation in the masjid and start a congregation with each other, or that women who usually pray individually specifically go out to join the congregation for further prayers. Another issue to clarify is the ruling regarding women reciting out loud in prayers, be it in individual or congregational prayers. Hanafi scholars have generally said that this is disliked whereas the Hanbalis encourage it so long as no non-mahram men can hear it. 
The Shafis also say it is permissible without condition. The Malikis consider it disliked regardless. However, this is more to do with the adab of prayer and how ideally the prayer of a woman should be done in a concealing manner, not something that affects the validity of prayer based on the preferred opinion that the voice is not awrah. So there is room for following another opinion here, as we see in Sheikh Nadwi's mother's example. With that said, the first thing to discuss is the general benefit of congregational prayers, be it at the masjid with everyone else or women only. Praying the five daily prayers in congregation is one of the most important parts of the concept of iqamatus salah, the establishing of prayer, which has been commanded repeatedly in the Qur'an. To establish salah openly together can serve as a powerful way of aiding each other in good deeds and taqwa and building bonds and unity. The Prophet ﷺ will put great effort into lining up the companions in prayer and stressed that gathering together and standing in a straight line increases unity and removes hatred. While women are excused from praying in congregation unlike men, women can still benefit from many of the blessings of congregational prayer every now and then, be it the unity that it can build or the way it can help make Salah something visibly central in their lives. Another important role of congregational prayer is how it teaches us to perform and establish Salah. It is through the congregational prayer that the Prophet ﷺ taught the Sahaba, both male and female, how to pray and perfect their prayers, how to center their life around prayer. And even the Prophet himself learned to pray from Jibreel ﷺ, the angel, who led him in Salah. Praying in congregation is the most effective way to learn how to pray and to build a habit of prayer, something which so many people, both male and female, are in need of. One may argue that generations of women have learned how to pray without attending congregations. Even if it may be possible to learn Salah without participating in a congregational prayer, it's not always the case. How many of these women really had the opportunity to learn how to pray correctly and develop a habit of Salah? And how many of them learned the adab of praying in a congregation or in the masjid? We need to consider whether not allowing or encouraging women to pray in congregation either at the masjid or together, may be affecting the establishment of Salah in their lives, especially for those who live in places where Salah isn't publicly established. So although regular congregations of the five daily prayers may not be necessary for all women, they can be beneficial for those who are learning to pray, like children and younger people. For instance, if a group of girls are together and prayer time comes in, having them all pray together in congregation can be much easier and more beneficial than telling them to all pray individually, as is often done among the Hanafis. Apart from these general benefits, there are also benefits especially applicable to women-only Tarawih congregations. The most commonly cited benefit of women-only Tarawih congregations is that it gives hafidahs a chance to properly review and practice their Qur'an. The best way to review the Qur'an and ensure that remains in the memory year after year is to not only review it regularly, but to recite it at least once a year in Tarawih. Of course, this can also be done individually, but it may be difficult. The traditional Hanafi fatwa here says that if a hafidah is not confident enough in her hifth to pray by herself, she should recite out loud and have someone not praying listen to her recitation and note her mistakes so she can be informed after prayer. Not in the middle, because that also invalidates prayer according to the Hanafis. 
The problem, however, is that this is not really practical. Not every hafidah can find someone willing to sacrifice one to two hours in Ramadan to just sit and listen. Allowing hafidahs to lead each other makes it easier to practice. And even if a hafidah is only leading non-hafidahs in prayer, it still allows her to practice and keeps her motivated to review. Another benefit is that it allows women whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted the knowledge and recitation of the Qur'an an opportunity to share, benefit, and teach others, and through this, grow in their own knowledge. It is mentioned in the hadiths about Umm Waraqa that she had recited the Qur'an, i.e. learned the Qur'an, which is why the Prophet ﷺ appointed her to lead at her house. Part of the responsibility of those who have knowledge of the Qur'an is sharing it and using it to help others. But the biggest benefit of a women-only congregation, in my opinion, is that it can serve as an inspiration to women and girls to increase their love for the Qur'an and create in them a stronger desire to learn it. Many Hafad mentioned that their original inspiration to memorize the Qur'an came from witnessing a Taraweeh prayer as a child. This is not the same for girls, though. Taraweeh at the Masjid may increase them in their love for the Qur'an, but if this is all they see, it can also leave them feeling that memorizing the Qur'an is something only for boys, because they will not get to be at the position of that Imam. The issue here is not about memorizing for the purpose of leading or fame. The issue is about having a relevant positive role model that inspires you to do good and who you can aspire to be like. Women's Taraweeh Hearing a fellow female recite the Qur'an inside or outside of prayer is something, unfortunately, many women do not usually have the opportunity to do. Listening to the recitation of the Qur'an from others is a powerful form of worship and gaining closeness to Allah. For the female listener, there is a special power in a female voice. Those who have experienced it know how it allows the beauty of the Qur'an to be reflected in a different manner and how it's a reminder that the Qur'an was also sent down to females to recite and to learn and to protect. This may seem obvious, but the reality is that since so many girls have grown up without hearing a woman recite the Qur'an, they often feel it is not something for them to do. Sheikh Abul Hassan Ali Nadwi shared the intimate experience of his mother's taraweeh. He could have chosen not to mention it, to keep it between her and Allah, but he shared it. Decades later, and hundreds of miles away, just hearing about her being devoted to the Qur'an at that level and leading women in taraweeh inspired me as a child to memorize the Qur'an. And it wasn't just me. I know a whole generation of hafidahs from the subcontinent and perhaps across the world who cite her as their inspiration for memorizing. If this is the power of hearing about one woman's taraweeh congregation, Imagine how much more powerful and inspirational it would be for a young girl to witness a woman's congregation, to witness hafidahs reciting the Qur'an in a beautiful manner and leading their sisters in taraweeh. Imagine the potential effects of attending a women-only congregation can have on a generation of girls and how much closer it can bring them to the Qur'an. Seeing women-only congregations being held across the country in Ramadan is a sign that women are devoted to the Qur'an that they have learned it well enough to lead, that they are devoted to worship, that they are gathering together for a good purpose. Yes, it is true there is a difference of opinion here, and it is fine to disagree. But in issues where there is a difference of opinion, there is no reason to speak against someone who follows the other, also valid opinion. 
and there is definitely no room for mocking those who choose to practice this sunnah of the Sahabiyat. About the author, Ustada Umsara is a graduate of Jamia Binoria Lilbanat, Karachi, and a Hafidha of the Quran. She teaches regularly in her community in New York. My name is Zeba Khan, and on behalf of MuslimMatters.org, I would like to thank you for listening to this podcast and invite you to support our work. Please visit MuslimMatters.org slash donate. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.